0: Sex is the life force energy that runs through us all. The link between sex, creativity, and the sense of aliveness is strong. Can you use sexual energy for your spiritual evolution? Or perhaps for emotional healing? Is it even possible? Clinical sexologist Dr. Martha Tara Lee will explore all these and more on the Eros Evolution Show here on OM Times Radio and TV.
1: welcome to eros evolution this is where we talk about all things related to sex spirituality and uh, more <laughs> so uh, international <laughs> Women's day is uh, next week and uh, i have with me two amazing um uh women uh here so i think it's less about gender um but uh, there are certain things that happens to us as women and uh so this week i have uh, two guests who uh are born in a female body and um next week i will have two of my male friends uh talking about what it's like being male for them so it's not true that being a woman i only want to talk about women's issues i definitely love and adore men as well and i feel that they also need to have their voice heard so today i have with me uh Justine Anfonte, um a sex educator based in new york city and your friendly ghostwriter on instagram so you can find justine at uh, Instagram, that's I uh, with the alphabet M, Justin AF, and uh, the ghostwriting uh, Instagram is undersaw good dot buys with an S. And I also have with me Mel. Uh, so the only rose beto- uh, among the thorns and uh, one of the co hosts of a podcast I was on recently called the Bulut uh, Kiki Project podcast. So this podcast was awarded the best podcast host of 2021 uh, last year by asia podcast festival and uh, so yeah i approached uh, them and uh, i was uh, on one of the episodes you can uh, check it out so yeah it's an award-winning podcast and uh, that podcast actually uh, aims to normalize difficult conversations around depression mental health gender identity human sexuality and everything in between so mel is a ordinary uh, filipina uh, finding her own way through the world and uh, battling depression anxiety with the help of a psychiatrist and therapist. So uh, with her co-host, they share stories around um, uh, for people uh, so that they feel that they're not alone and they don't have to be alone on their journeys. So you can find out more about uh, Mel's uh, podcast at uh, bulutkiki.com. That's B-A-L-U-T-Kiki.com. Uh, it's also th- uh, The Bulut Kiki uh, Project on Facebook and Instagram and Bulut Kiki Prop p-r-o-g on uh twitter so so yeah welcome to the show so uh tell us a little bit more about yourself um where you are where you are right now what time it is
2: Thank you, thank you. Um, it's so, it's. I'm so glad to be here. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Um, as you said, Doctor Lee, we were together in a podcast a few weeks ago, and that was really, really, that was a really good conversation. Um, so, like you said, I am Mel. I'm currently in Europe. I'm in the UK, so it is currently nighttime where I am. Uh, One o seven a.m. So I'm here with you with coffee <laughs> um thank you for that really good introduction um oh. yes i look forward to having this conversation today
1: thank you thanks for making it
2: yes
3: yeah staying awake <laughs> um <laughs> I, a I i'm uh, i'm coming in from dc i'm in washington dc right now the belly of the beast um, doing uh, my second stop of my speaking tour, but I'm originally based in New
1: York City. Cool. What time is it over there at the moment? It's 8
3: p.m., so 8 just had dinner, and uh, I'm
1: still very awake. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, so it's 9 a.m. Uh, in Singapore. So thank you so much for being here. Maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about, uh, uh, since we're talking about International Women's Day, do you feel that we have achieved uh, gender equality um, at least, maybe in the city that you are in or your background, your upbringing, like what have you seen in the changes of um, being women?
2: Go ahead, Mel. Okay. Um, I think we are not where we want to be. We are not where we need to be, but we've definitely achieved and moved forward from maybe 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Um, We certainly see, have seen changes and improvements, but there's still a lot to, to do, there's still a lot of things to do and 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 goals to achieve. Um, where I am now, there's currently a strike in the school system um, for uh, gender pay gap because um, female um, uh, female tutors, female teachers um, are earning a bit less than their male counterparts. So there there is currently a strike in, in several universities in the union of um, of teachers. So, but that's a something.
3: I agree with Mel. I think the bar is really low at looking at what improvement looks like when it comes yeah. to gender parity. Um, but I believe that um, so long as there is still transphobia, homophobia, and men don't feminize um, uh, something as valuable that we aren't going to achieve gender parity. I think a lot of times people think about gender um, equity as something that women now have um, some type of power or equal power. But I would like to think of it as do men feel like they can sacrifice some of their power um, in order to uplift women's voices? And that is something I have yet to see. So yes, men are still up there and women are rising to meet them, but are men willing to actually let go of some of that power and privilege so that we can really achieve gender parity. And that is not the case. Um, Mm. And and gender roles are the root of, you know, transphobia and homophobia. And there are still countries where it is illegal to be out as a queer person. So, no, we are nowhere near um, equity in this world
1: yeah um just as you say i i I feel a bit like crying because what happened was yesterday there was an announcement um from the high court saying that um they're not going to um they're not going to remove the 377a um law in singapore which actually um uh, criminalizes um um homosexual sex so they say oh we are not going to remove it but we are not going to penalize it we're not going to enforce it so once again um it's making a mockery of our law system and it's still um it's still there it's like a it's like a sword over people's heads Are saying that um yeah you just be there and uh, we're not going to give you rights we're not mm-hmm. going to protect you and uh it it has been very triggering for the grbt community here in singapore and um um Yeah, so they they have all kinds of announcements about the support system and the helplines that are available. But uh, I love what you're saying, Justine, because, um, you know, like what you mentioned, Mel, about UK people having a strike. In Singapore, you can't have a strike. Uh, In Singapore, even though there is still a gender pay gap, it's not really acknowledged or talked about. Mm -hmm. And um, I I, I like what you said, Justine, about um, how... um, Um, People who have the power and privilege may not want to release it, may want to protect it, and so they Mm -hmm. may be in denial and saying there's nothing wrong with uh, what's happening because they just don't see the discrimination uh, that is existing. Um, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I I got a message uh, from just some random guy on Instagram saying I should stop making videos for She The People TV, which is... uh, a female empowerment uh, website by Indian women for Indian women and I happen to be privileged to be able to share content with them even though I'm not Indian um, I, I do have a very big heart for in, India and Indians because I have so many clients from India and so to have this message saying you should stop um, contributing to them, uh, you should stop uh, perpetuating their propaganda, I think it's it's definitely coming from a place of privilege and wanting to stand, send women back to the Stone Ages. So it's very uh, infuriating uh, seeing this happening. And um, when I think one of the biggest things about being a woman for me is that um, I really hate um, the fact that I'm smaller and I'm weaker and I always feel... Um, the threat of violence mm-hmm. so i have to think mm-hmm. twice before i say anything i can't re- retaliate the same way um, men may not think um about um, their physical safety whereas this is something yeah. that's always at the back of my mind um do you, yeah. do you all agree with that
2: absolutely um i live i live in student halls or dormitories um and i have to walk to school about half a mile um the, and then there's Around the area, there's a grocery and and shopping center, and there's a path to the shopping center. There are two ways. One is a very well-lit road, but it's longer, and there's a shorter road, but it's a bit dark, it's a bit dingy, and I would never take that road at night. Even if it goes around the police station, I would never take that road at, at night. I would always, I would rather go the long way. And I don't think, you're right, Dr. Lee, I don't think men ever think about this. But we do. It's like, it's almost like stuck in our heads that we always have to think about that. And, and if we and don't think men,
3: about it and something happens, it's our fault.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
3: Yeah that yeah, the fear is real i think um you know as someone in the dating world and on dating apps um i know that you know um a straight man's biggest fear going on the actual date in person is that i'm fatter than my pictures my biggest fear when i meet him in person is that i'm going to be raped it's a very different you know um, feeling going into a first date when You're thinking your physical safety is imminently going to be um, threatened. And he's thinking about something superficial that your pictures don't match who you actually
2: look like. Absolutely. That's so true. Um, I think safety, like from from the onset, um, since you were kids, safety has always been something that um has been drilled into our heads and sadly we're doing I'm, I'm I'm doing it to my niece my sister doing it to her daughter that we're thinking that how do we keep her safe how does she keep herself safe when she grows up to be a teenager and as an adult
3: and I think that those are important things to do but we need to be um focusing on how we're raising our boys to not be rapists yeah. i mean the onus is not on us to get self-defense classes to say no louder it's about training our boys to be nurturing to be Mm -hmm. compassionate to be empathetic caregivers that should not be something that is only socialized to you know to girls
1: yeah absolutely what about uh what's going on um in uh, the last maybe the last two years with um what's happening with Asian hate crime, especially because of COVID, like, has any of this affected um, us as women or as Asians? Absolutely.
3: I mean, I think, you know, even BC, before Corona virus, we had always, you know, been experiencing discrimination. It's just that now there's this added layer of this virus that's attached to, you know, the continent of Asia, so then Asian-Americans, you know, at least in my experience, are now even more stigmatized for this layer, um, where, you know, before it was always go back to China, you don't belong here. Now it's go back to China because you've infected all of us. Um, so it's it's not any different. I think there's just more visibility. And in fact, it's it's hyper-visible. And I think the problem with that for especially Asian-Americans is that people shouldn't care about our welfare because it's in the context of tragedy. And that's when they start caring about us is when people are getting pushed down the subway tracks. Women are getting stabbed on their way home and they all happen to be Asian or they're going to work that day. Um, we've always been marginalized because of um, how people see specifically Asian woman- women as a fetish, as um, something exotic. So we've never been humanized and have always been objectified and dehumanized as something that is in this world for the pleasure and for in and in service of men um so the coronavirus you know um really just amplified what we've already been experiencing for for long years in history
1: how about you mel have you had any experiences
2: um, no, um, I'm, not, I'm not looking forward to having that experience, um, but no. Um, but I, you see it in the news. Um, my, my aunt in, this, in the U.S. had a friend who got yelled at, go back to China um, at the start of the pandemic. Uh, they were on the freeway, and someone on the freeway, someone yelled at them to go back to China um and it's 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 just it's just dumb it's just really dumb
1: so just to be clear none of us are actually from china but we are getting this abuse (laughs) uh, because we are asian and uh, i also get my, my fair share of it and i i was really shocked by it because uh i'm chinese i'm singaporean chinese born and bred in singapore i am chinese uh but uh it's like my parents came from Ch- uh, my grandparents came from China so what happened was that um um yeah so on my platform on the People TV uh, people say boycott China mm-hmm. and um so it's it's not to say like we are better than people from China that's not what we are saying at all but the mm-hmm. fact that suddenly all Asians are just dumped into this um target of uh, hate and uh, it's really scary. Like I read what's happening in the US of uh, people getting stabbed and uh, killed and pushed down a subway uh, 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 into the path of subway trains, and uh, it's it's terrifying. You know, because I happen to be in a place where I'm in the majority, so it feels really safe. But we all have our privileges as well. So um, I like to ask, like you know, it, it it's like really kind of depressing and upsetting talking about this even but do we have any actually any suggestions of how uh, women can cope?
3: I always think that being in um, spaces with people of shared identities is something that can be really affirming especially as an Asian American where I'm usually you know, the only one, or there's really, you know, not a lot of us. And so when you when I enter a space when there is the majority, um, when I'm the majority, it really makes a difference on my mental health, on being, you know, seen and having to uh, being able to just go right into, um, you know, sharing, knowing that they all have a 100 feet head start into the conversation because they get it. There's a shared experience there as opposed to being around, you know, um, people who don't share those identities. I have to start from the beginning and try to defend and explain myself, Um, oftentimes be gaslit in the process. Um, And it's taxing and that's not supportive at all. So I think one um, continual um, form of healing for me is, uh, you know, seeing uh, and being around support groups of people with shared identities. And those types of affinity spaces have been very beneficial for for me.
2: I agree. Um, and it's very important to have, not just be in them, but to 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 put up these safe spaces mm-hmm. um, so that it's available to everyone. Yeah. Um, so for example, in the university where I'm in, we have a BAME society. While it's not specifically for women, but it is for minorities. Um, and And so, like you said, when you're with this group, when you're with your safe, with your um, peers, you have the same experience, same background, or similar. It it is a safe feeling. It it really does help. Absolutely does.
1: And yeah, because it's ex, ex, um, it's tiring, you know, explaining yourself to people who don't get it. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 they don't. Most I, I don't want to say most of the time, but they they don't listen with an open mind they already have a preconceived idea that this is it or that is that and your explanation our explanation falls on deaf ears because there's already a preconceived notion an answer before the question
3: i would also say you know anything you can do to set boundaries on the amount of time or people that you are spending your energy on um is something that we need to be more intentional on i think a lot of asian femmes uh you know have really been socialized to serve to be subservient Mm -hmm. um and to be there in you know in the serve for in this for service of other people and to be that Mm -hmm. caring Um, And when we give so much of ourselves, we don't leave anything else for our own, um, you know, bodies um, to nurture it and to really care for it. Um, I think self-care is something that is um, not something we practice and it's not something we were taught to practice or be comfortable with. So whether it's, you know, protecting your energy by actually unfriending people on social media that you don't Want to see on your feed or have them see in your feed. Um, Actually saying no to a brunch you don't want to go to because those people are, you know, exhausting to you. But we always feel obligated or feel guilty or will feel bad if we don't just say yes. And I think we need to be comfortable with yes and people need to be honoring those boundaries and not seeing as like a rejection or, um, you know, some type of cancellation on their friendship, but really. This person cares about their own well-being, and I don't want to hang out with them if they don't really want to hang out with me. So why are we always settling for mediocre, you know,
2: hangouts? That that that. Oh gosh, I'm still struggling with that to be honest. I really am. Where I learned in in another podcast episode, which will soon air, um, where we are trained to be taught to be compassionate to others but not to ourselves and and being compassionate to ourselves is so difficult um because that's all we know that's what we were taught to serve others to please others in in every shape or form be it the one cleaning the house and and doing all the household chores and being okay with that mm-hmm. and being supportive of everyone around us but what about ourselves? And it's, right. we're compassionate to others, we give them everything we have, we don't leave some for us.
1: Right. Yeah, so I, I love uh, all the things that uh, you're saying, Justine uh, and uh, Mel. Uh, so we're talking about a community, finding people with shared experiences, we talked about how we are always subject to this attitude of serving and nurturing and taking care of people and really we need to direct it towards ourselves and learning to speak up, assert ourselves and uh, not just settle. So actually a memory comes to mind. Um, when I was growing up, my mom would always push me out of the kitchen and say, you know, you go study and it was almost as if the most important thing was to study and so when I grew up, I actually didn't have a good connection with, um, with food, with all the um, chores of uh, acts of daily living like I didn't really know how to cook I didn't think it was important it was seen as uh, something that was um, lesser than like I'm not supposed to be doing this and so I think it became the reverse of it because then I I, I had this identity kind of confusion like what am I supposed to do as a woman because I've been pushed out of the kitchen all the time and I'm only supposed to study and be smart and just like prove myself, but I live in this world. I still need to navigate it. I still need to learn how to take care of myself. And so I think that is an element of um, well-intentionality and then uh, actually having the opposite effect because I had to take time to heal my relationship with food and cooking and what it actually means being a woman or a modern day woman. So have y'all had these kinds of uh, similar experiences?
2: For me, it's the complete opposite. Um, Being the eldest and being a woman, the expectation was growing up that I will, I was always in the kitchen, which I was, um, took care of my younger siblings as the, that was the expectation, right? From the eldest and was the one doing the cleaning? Was the one um, helping around the house? Don't get me wrong, helping around helping around and learning chores is very—it's a very important life skill. But also, it needs to be balanced, right? We need to also know that we are more than that. Um, personally, I am quite thankful that I have very strong female role models in the family. Um, I was never told that I couldn't be anything. Um, that I, I I wanted to be an archaeologist. My parents were okay with that. I wanted to be a mad scientist. My parents were happy with that. It was all up to me. So I am quite. I recognize that I'm quite lucky that I do have um, strong female roles in my family and in my life. But that's not always the case
3: yeah i'm I mean, I'm really blessed too. I have um, you know I was raised um, with parents who wanted me to um, you know take on what my passion was, uh, but also be ladylike in doing so. So I would say if I have to pick apart a little bit about um, how I was raised that uh, maybe I would do differently. Um, is not pushing those gender norms um, from something as menial as the way I laughed as a kid I mean the way I laugh now even as an adult, but my parents would um, you know tell me that's not ladylike you have to laugh with your mouth closed and you have to cover your mouth when you're laughing it's more polite that way um, and I was a very rambunctious um, energetic kid, and I was very athletic, so I would always be racing against the boys and trying to beat the boys and beating the boys uh, but you know as i developed muscles i was told you don't want your arms to be too big then you'll look like a tomboy so there's something negative about that um and so i remember like i think i was in fourth grade my parents put me in manners for minors which was me and three nine-year-old boys in this like etiquette class about what I'm supposed to wear, what utensils I'm supposed to use at fancy dinners, how I'm supposed to speak properly. Um, but there were no other girls there because we were supposed to just know that from birth and you know be able to do it well. But I was a little bit of a, a rebel in some ways in that uh, in that regard, not being ladylike enough. Um, and so that was just something that was ingrained in me at an early early age. Um, but, you know, even now, you know, there are some messages from my family about, um, you know, my arms being too muscular and that's not ladylike, um, or, you know, the way I'm dressing, it's not, uh, it's not, you know, dainty enough. Um, and so, you know, that's still there. Uh, it doesn't have any strong ramifications, you know, in, um, in ways that, you know, other body image things have, especially on young girls, but, um, uh, there's a reason that they're still thinking in these very patriarchal terms. Even the matriarchs in our family who are extremely successful and the breadwinners in their family, yet they have to do that being ladylike.
1: Yeah, that's uh, triggering a lot in me. Um, Yeah, I can go on about it. But yes, we all have our stories, how we were wounded um, being women. Uh, for me, I was told that I should, um, I shouldn't be so loud. I should be mindful. I'm a woman. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't do this. So I really hated being a, a woman. So uh, on that note, we have a commercial break. <laughs> we'll be back.
0: <laughs> Om Times TV. Imagine becoming a super influencer reinvent yourself, invest in your brand, and then manifest your success with a robust, spheric approach. Own Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, OM Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an OM Times Magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on OM Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive OM Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. Own times. Open yourself to the possibilities.
2: If I could be you and you could be me for just one hour, if we could find a way to get inside each other's minds, walk a mile in my shoes.
1: Walk, walk a mile
3: in my, in my
0: shoes. My shoes. Well, before you abuse, criticize and accuse,
1: walk a mile in my shoes. Hi everyone, we are back and I am with uh, Mel uh, from um, Bulut Kiki Project, which is a podcast you can look up, and Justine, who is a sex educator uh, in New York City. Uh, Mel is uh, at the moment in the UK. So, uh, yeah, we are three Asian women. um, And uh, just now, uh, before the break, we were talking about what it's like uh, growing up as uh, uh, Asian women, all women, and um, how we can uh, cope with... uh, Uh, gender inequality and uh, build ourselves up uh, including uh, finding communities learning how to take care of ourselves and not settle so uh, one of the things that i really want to ask is because all of us um, all three of us are some kind of a public figure in some way we are all sex educators in some way uh, or at least we are women who talk about sex and uh, so have you experienced any slut shaming and uh, what are some of the strategies ways um that you can learn to code because I think to some extent all of us uh, do experience slug shaming.
2: Go ahead, Mel. <laughs> um over the years i sadly um maybe I've just developed I've developed thick skin, um, like really thick skin, because I get it, it happens even from the family. Um for those who know me i've big boobs and even that gets called out it's it's me there's nothing i can do about it that's my own physical body that's what i was given and it's not it's not my fault um but growing up it was it felt like it was a problem like having two eyes is a problem right but so i just developed thick skin and it's it's sad not thinking about it um that i have to do that um that I had to keep thinking to myself in one ear, out the other, or just you know, it won't kill me and just ignore ignore people. It's not always easy to do. Um until now it's not easy to do. But that's that's I guess how I've coped. Um definitely not the best way. Um, but that's how I learned to to deal with it. Um
3: I um, personally have never been slut-shamed, but I have been shamed for being a woman in the sex education field. Um, And it's slightly different, but I think these – the, the stigma is quite similar in that being in a sexuality field, being a sexual being is uh, is wrong and is negative and isn't something you should be proud of. Um, and, you know, in this uh, smear campaign that I was at the center of last year for being a sex educator in school spaces, talking to children from grades 1 to 11 about various topics in sex, Um, Many conservatives were very uncomfortable with the fact that this was something I was bringing into school spaces. Um, And one way I coped was um, really letting them finish throwing their tantrum. They are clearly projecting a lot of their own pain, their own unhealed traumas from their past histories, and they just chose, you know, an Asian woman during Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month in the United States to as as their as their target at the time it's nothing new it's just that i was you know 2021's target on putting blame to them not having done the inner work to heal from their own sexual traumas and and violence um, and really just projecting that um, discomfort on on the scapegoat and I happen to be that person, so that really helped me to um, not just be forgiving, but I feel like it takes up less energy to be um, forgiving than to be angry. Um, I really was never angry at you know the the critics of my work. I felt really sorry for them. In the same way that I'm catcalled in New York City, I don't get angry. I get annoyed. And then I feel really sorry for that person because they haven't maybe had a matriarch, you know, in their life um, to be able to see that they are someone worth respecting. Um, They haven't been as privileged as I am to be able to study gender um, and gender scripts in a way that I have. And so I just, I feel bad for them that this is what they're, their behaviors are reduced to by taking another human being and objectifying them, even if they're a complete stranger and definitely not, you know, with my consent. And I feel bad for them because they're going to struggle with their relationships or already are struggling with their relationships where I feel very confident in my fulfilled relationships because I have people that see me as an actual human being. So a lot of my coping when I have shame or hate thrown my way is, um, is really trying to understand what makes a person this angry, what makes a person this cruel to another human, and then the grace and the forgiveness comes out from that because no one is born hating; They're, they were taught that, and and that's who I feel sorry for—the people who are students of those those teachings. The, yeah, the, I. The...
2: Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Mel. Um, And what people don't realize is it doesn't help the situation. It doesn't make the person the object of the shaming. It doesn't make them change. It doesn't make them not do what they do, what they perceive is wrong. That doesn't happen. Um, We just did an episode on slut shaming the other week. Um, And our guest, she even in elementary school, she was already being slut-shamed by her teachers, by the principal, elementary, when she didn't know what sex was. And it comes from adults who have malicious ideas, projecting them to children who have no clue. And it starts there. And it just continues, and it becomes pervasive. Other students learn it, other teachers learn it, and think it. And it it's more damaging than anything. And it, it doesn't help. It doesn't. It doesn't fix anything. It just it just damages.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, if, um, Justin, I just want to say that. Um, um you know we didn't connect until recently because i i saw what was happening in the in the papers in in us and uh i was like who who is this person i i I don't know her and uh she's asian and she looks like me and i i i I really wanted to um love you and uh support you but i can imagine like you know i'm so far away like who the hell is Martha? and i i i didn't want to like um you know, like stress you further when you were going through this uh, storm. Um, but you you have my support and my love. And it's, it's really not easy because um, for me, um, uh, when I was uh, on my journey of being a sex educator, I had so much shaming. I was told that I was indecent for, for talking about sex mm-hmm. and For a long time i couldn't figure out why and then i realized it's because uh, sex is such a taboo and a topic that's supposed to be personal and behind closed doors and here's this woman who talks about sex so openly and she she must not have uh, any shame or she must be a slut. so i got a lot of that uh, all through my uh, career and only in recent years i think people are like celebrating and applauding and um, um my work and uh, many people coming forward and wanting to talk about uh, sexuality and sexuality education, because I think it comes from a place of wanting to, um, to right the wrongs of uh, not having uh, it normalized. So our work is uh, so important, and I like what you said about how you were able to see things from their perspective you were able to be forgiving and not be angry and uh, feel sorry for them i think this is exactly what makes you a good educator because we dig deep into why we do what we do and also who we are doing this for so it's it's definitely the inner work at um and the sense of mission that uh, we all have to go through so yeah, just just keep going and know that no matter what happens, um, you have my support. And if there's anything I can do ever to help uh, both of you, I will definitely uh, do that. Yeah. So anyway, really, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you. it's uh, it, it really sound sounded like such a ter- terrible um time, and um, I I hope like the worst is over and um, you emerge from it um well and graciously and I, I i only want uh, better things to happen for you moving forward thank you uh okay so on that note uh talking about dealing with slut shaming i think um, um I, I don't want to belabor the point i think um a lot of people say oh, just ignore it i feel it didn't help me so what i did was i actually do uh what justin does which is um Uh, really see things from their perspective like who they are where they're coming from and uh it it really wasn't easy but over over the years um now finally i think i can laugh about it (laughs) finally i can ignore them i can i can block them like um i don't get as upset that as i was um before but i think for a good five six years i did get very affected and it's it's like this constant um, a one step forward two steps back kind of a feeling uh, all the time and uh, there would be some days that was better than others but um this whole thing about ignoring and uh, developing a thicker skin really didn't come easy for me so i had to do a lot of like breathing and meditating and dancing and crying and uh, journaling in order to get through uh in get through all that and uh, because I'm in Singapore, and uh, there was there were there are really not that many one not many people who I really feel really understand what I'm going through. I also felt really isolated. So it's really important. I think through this podcast, I have had opportunities to meet with other educators around the world, and that has helped. It's like you know you have some some reason to connect with people, mm-hmm. as opposed to just I think not a lot of people want to just talk for the sake of talking. So, having said all that, um, let's uh, move on and talk about, uh, um, circle back and talk about uh, how do we as women think that uh, men or all of humanity can support uh, this uh, gender bias uh, and discrimination that continues to exist?
3: I think for parents around the world, I think they need to care less about what their genitalia is of their child and stop throwing gender reveal parties because. All you're doing is telling a bunch of strangers or family friends what your kids' sex organs are and so what, because we know gender identity is something completely different than an assignment that they are getting on their passport or their birth certificate. Um, And all that's doing is keeping them boxed into these ideas of who they're supposed to be and who they're expected to be. And we know that gender roles are the heart of transphobia and homophobia. We want our young people to live in a world where there isn't a closet to have to come out of. They are just born into a safe world who loves them for the gender full world that they're walking into because gender can look and be so many different things. And yet we've reduced it to two colors, blue and pink. And so I think that's one of the um, things that we can be doing that not just men, not just, you know, um, you know, certain people, but it's all on all of us to really understand that we're trying to get to a gender full world as opposed to a gender binary of two
2: and also yeah, just agreed. not reduce the value of the person to a gender right right and their reproductive they, capacity exactly there's so much more that is just one
1: one part of many parts mm-hmm. right yeah, I, I, I really don't get this gender review thing. I, I don't think I had all these gender review parties growing up. I think they only became like something that was in my radar in the last three years. Has it been right. going on like longer than it has been, Justine? Like
3: um no, it's US? definitely it's on the newer side. I would say maybe about a decade old. Um, But, you know, with these sorts of things, you can always think capitalism because it's another excuse to just buy things when there's already probably a baby shower to buy more things. Right. It all has to do with how can we make more money off of something and that, you know, and that something implying, again, another box
1: to put people into. Yeah, we are much, much more than our gender and also. Uh, what if we feel that we were born in the wrong body and uh, we identify with a different gender than we are we are assigned at birth and uh, it can be really 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 uh, many layers of damage that can be caused so i i uh, coming back to uh, how uh, men or all of humanity can support women i think it's really important to uh, recognize and I keep repeating this almost every episode. Is that we need to look at people as individuals. Mm-hmm. We are all unique people with different skills, talents, yeah. abilities. Some people are born strong. Some people are interested in supposedly guy things. And uh, we just need to look at them as individuals. So yeah. we need to let go of our own biasness of like what people should be or what uh, uh, what uh, someone should look uh, in order to be of value or in order to be of significance. Uh, what what do you think?
2: Absolutely, because we are not we we are multifaceted individuals. We have interests, we have feelings, we have opinions, we have wants, needs, etc., etc., etc. Skills, talents, um, and it's, it's as a whole. We are a person, so it's not just your gender. It's not just your genitals that you get. Um, it's everything and. And, yeah, it's just one part of it. And and Dr. Lee, it's okay to talk about it all the time because it needs to be talked about. It, we need to keep talking about it until it gets through people's thick skulls. that yeah. um, yeah. it needs to stop.
3: Yeah, I think my message to cis, het, men around the world is threefold. Number one, listen to us. Number two believe us and number three shut up and stop talking over us
1: I love it I love it very clear (laughs) it's true it's true um yeah anyway uh I have had so many experiences where my values are not not uh, respected just because i don't speak as loudly as them or i'm not as aggressive and uh, everybody should have a voice at the table i also think that it's really important that um men especially being in a position of privilege uh they really need to make sure that uh we have equal pay and they stand up for us not just this positively discriminate and say, yeah, let's hire women because things will be easier, but actually really seeing us for our abilities and really advocating and uh, really pointing out discrimination that happens at the workplace as well. Because when we speak up, we are troublemakers, but when they speak up, people are more likely to listen, uh, mm-hmm. often because they are also the boss. So I, it's really important that uh, they work on their own biasness and their own uh, lack of education around what what we really want. Like we are at work, we just want to be appreciated for who we are and what we bring to the table as workers, mm-hmm. as a professional and not being treated as, oh yeah, she's like that because, you know, she's had on her period or like making excuses for us. Like we want to be treated as an equal at the workplace. Mm.
2: And you mentioned a very good word and I really, really like that word, which is advocate. Because that is what we need to do for each other. Um, because we we don't need people to do stuff just for the sake of doing it, right? Like meeting a meeting a gender equality target. That that's not it, right? It it that that doesn't represent the whole picture. It just I think it just covers the problem, or it's just a tick in the box. It needs to be more than just a tick in the box. People need to advocate for each other.
1: yeah thank you for all that so yeah we've covered quite a bit of ground so i want to uh, actually mention that this year uh, for international women's day the theme is actually break the bias and uh, so on the 8th of march which is in uh, next week um, they actually have a symbol of where you cross your arms and say like we are for breaking the bias but what actually are we talking about like what kind of bias? Are we just talking about gender bias? Are we talking about bias because of pay discrimination? What do you what do you think? What are the other bias that uh, comes up for you?
2: I think it's it's not just gender. Um, There's a lot of different biases. And it can be like, um, so the very, I think the very common, the loudest one is gender bias um it can be not just female male the binary gender but it can be for example we talked about in in our podcast we talk about in the philippines where there's a notion that if you are gay you must be creative therefore you will be assigned all the creative parts in a project that's not necessarily true um Or, for example, if you are male identifying, you will be the one who will always be carrying the heavy things and lugging heavy things around. That's not always true. So there is bias across the board from everyone. And I think we need to really just take a step back and just take the person as a whole. Um, Short, tall, Asian, not... And every color of the rainbow.
3: I would say that um, because we still live in a patriarchal world, the bias for many people is that masculinity is superior. And that is why even women try to take on masculine aspects of their identities um, because they think that that is what's going to push them forward and be successful. Um, And I think we need to start understanding that there is value to femininity and we need to actually value what we feminize as opposed to seeing femininity as something negative and weak and bad and not sought after. Um, because so long as we keep thinking femininity is something negative, there isn't going to be any gender equity. And we know any human being can be both feminine and masculine. And that needs to be stuff that we accept in every person. But we put this bias saying the more masculine you are, whatever you know we've socially constructed that to mean, is where success is and where good is and where progress is. Uh, where we know that it's so toxic that it's actually regressive.
1: I love it. And you're so right. I'm so in agreement with you because a lot of people do not understand what femininity and masculinity really mean. They just peg it to the gender when in reality it is something that I feel All of us need to make peace within ourselves, we need to navigate this, and we need to bring out different facets of ourselves in different situations. So this whole misconception around like, oh, I am a woman but I don't want to be feminine or femininity is weak, like we need education around what masculinity and femininity really means. So when it comes to bias, I'm also thinking of a bias around gender roles, like what women should do, should wear, should look. Mm I'm also thinking of around our sexuality as a bias, like women who are talking about uh, sex or women who are sex positive or women who are sexually expressive are sluts. So, all this uh, labeling is also another bias. So, as a sex educator, I'm also um, seeing like this bias around like orgasm uh, pleasure gap that also needs to be talked about, like women deserving of uh, pleasure less or. Uh, it's not as important uh, as if the you know if they're in a hetero relationship. Then if their male partner has an orgasm, like it's more important for them to be satisfied. I think these are some of the biases uh, that comes to mind. Can you can you think of anything else?
2: You just mentioned right uh, for for women who are comfortable with their sexuality, they're labeled, labeled as sluts, but for men, they're called studs that alone shows you Tell, says a lot of things doesn't it
1: mm, yes um yeah so when i was uh, going through uh, my uh, sexuality education uh, sex sex school when i was going to sex school uh, we were it was impressed on uh, upon us that um a slut is simply just somebody who has more sex than you like you are triggered because you have less sex than this person and so then you just label this person a slut so if i need to hold the cross of being a slut uh, so that uh, i can uh, help more people then so be it so i had to uh, claim the word slut and uh, really embrace this as uh, a shadow word and uh, really make peace with it so that i don't get triggered uh, when uh, this comes up uh, invariably through my work so having done that work around uh, work around the word slut Uh, i don't get so affected anymore so yeah we talked about so many things today we talked about uh gender equality what it means in the modern day we talked about what it means uh being asian um and um we talked about uh, navigating our experiences being a modern day woman and um slut-shaming, how to deal with it, uh, how um, men or all of humanity can actually support women. Uh, and we talked about some of the biasness that we hope uh, will be broken. So uh, so I want to give one last uh, shout-out to um, all of you. So maybe you can uh, share once again your social media links.
2: Thank you. Um, so again, I am Mel, one of the co-hosts of the Balut Kiki Project podcast. You can, reach, you can find us at www.balutkiki.com. I'm
3: Justine Fonte, sex educator. You can find my Instagram at I'm Justine AF. And I'm also your friendly ghostwriter on Instagram, helping you set boundaries for people in your life by helping you write those text messages and pressing send. And that's at underscore good period buys underscore.
1: And thank you very much for being here. So uh, this is uh, this is Martha. You can find me at eroscoaching.com and uh, you can find the Eros Evolution show on Facebook and Instagram. So uh, yeah, so thanks for being here. And um, and uh, next week we have uh, two men uh, talking about what it means being men and we talk about toxic masculinity. So this has been Martha and uh, this has been Eros Evolution. Thank you.